Welcome to the Checking In podcast from the Great Lakes MHTTC, a series discussing topics related to health equity and the destigmatization of substance use disorder and mental illness. Welcome to today's podcast. My name is Isa Vélez. I'm the project manager for the state of Ohio for the Great Lakes PTTC, MHTTC, and Addiction Technology Transfer Center. Hispanic Heritage Month celebration starts every year from September 15 to October 15. It is the independence anniversary for Latin American countries that include El Salvador, Guatemala, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Honduras, Mexico, and Chile. During this month, we can recognize the achievements, histories, traditions, and cultural diversity, and countless contributions that Hispanic, Latino, Latinx have made to the nation over the years. This year, we celebrate our differences and collaborate for better common good. Today, our guest is Maureen D, a Latina, advocate, a mentor, a social worker from Cleveland, Ohio. She served for more than 40 years to Latino communities in Ohio. Welcome, Maureen. Buenos dias, buenas tardes. Muchas gracias. Thank you very much. Bienvenida. Could gracias. you share could you share a little bit about where are you from? And also, is there any particular facts about your country that you would like to share with our audience? Well, yes. So uh, I am from Uruguay, um, uh, Montevideo, Uruguay, originally. Uh, my parents are originally from Argentina. Uruguay is a small country in the southern cone of uh, South America, along with Argentina and Chile. And we are south of Brazil and on the Atlantic coast. And um, Uruguay is known for its uh, mostly uh, production of beef and cattle and sheep. Um, we have large estancias, which are large areas of camp. Um, and we have what, uh, what typically uh, the gaucho that manages the the estancia, and we're also known for our yerba mate, which is a drink that everybody's very popular. Everybody drinks yerba mate out of the gourd, and we also um, have roots uh, from our indigenous past, even most of European immigrants from Spain, Portugal, Italy, France, but we also have roots uh, in our indigenous um, mm. background as well as our African influence through the candombe, carnaval, that kind of thing. So that's a little bit about my country. I just want to say that sounds so wonderful. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's great. Uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, you were asking me what it means for me. Yeah, if um, you want to share a little bit about what it means to you. Yeah, so so it's for me, I mean, you explained it very well as to how it came about and why we do have Hispanic Heritage Month. Mm -hmm. And I do think it's really important to honor the history and the culture that is within the United States. Um, 
so for me, it's the opportunity to participate in events that celebrate our culture and the unique nuances of the Hispanic influences in our region. Like for instance, every region has specific populations and contrary to what most people think, the Hispanic population is very diverse. And in our area, we have Puerto Rican, uh, we have some Mexican, we have some South American, but it depends. Every region has differences. And I get to help promote the awareness of what is meaningful to us and what our needs are. And I get to see or participate in productions, exhibits, lectures, etc., relative to the Hispanic community. Wow, that's inspiring. Um, Maureen, could you share a little bit about um, what inspired you to begin working in the mental health field? Yeah, sure. So I migrated to the United States uh, to attend university for a bachelor's degree. I came directly from Montevideo, Uruguay. It was a quite a culture shock for me because I'd never been outside of my country. And uh, I came to Ohio to get my degree. Um, after I did that, I moved to New York City. And there I became a foster care case manager with Hispanics and Spanish-speaking families. So I got to travel all over the five boroughs of New York and doing home visits, using the subways and the buses, and I learned a lot about the challenges of the Hispanic community. Since I was Spanish-speaking, I was working mostly with Hispanic families. Mm -hmm. And so what I, I learned about were the effects of poverty, the effects of discrimination and the trauma that's uh, experienced through acculturation, being misunderstood or dismissed because they, we are different, speak a different language. I also learned about generational addiction to alcohol and other drugs and about PTSD from abuse. And I saw these effects on the families that I was working with and also saw how the, it was affecting the parents who were not able to take care of their children and the children being separated for, from their parents. And I saw that there was a lack of treatment for mental health and addiction and a lack of access because I think a lot of the issues in these families could have been treatable. So that's when I decided to pursue a social work degree with an eye to addressing addiction and mental health. <clears throat> and I started working for Catholic Charities in Cleveland and I became a program developer and ultimately ad an administrator and executive director with my field being mental health and addiction. Well, it's an honor to meet you and to know a little bit more about um, your background. Um, Maureen, as a Latina, how has your culture influenced the work that you do? Yeah, so um, the, the what I have done uh, when I entered the field is I became aware of the big gap in connecting with the community. Uh, my culture is hugely helpful to bridge issues of trust and respect 
as a result of a common language and understanding the values that drive us. Um, the Hispanic culture has some commonalities across all of our populations, which uh, highlight the importance of family, the importance of collaboration and working as a group, and also the concept of personalismo, which means individual relationships, the importance of being friendly, kind, and respectful. And what I found is that if one does the outreach, doing home visits, showing that you care, reaching out to make access easier, and explaining in great detail what to expect and alleviate anxieties, it really helps get services to the individuals who otherwise would not be coming to your door looking for services. So I learned that working through Hispanic serving organizations, I could reach more of our community. And it's really all about building trust. I think what we need to understand is that in the Hispanic community, word of mouth is huge. If individuals learn to trust and get results from a particular person or a particular, particular place, they will tell all of their family and friends, and that becomes more of a go-to place for the community. So we worked really hard to educate systems to identify and refer Latinos for assessments. We found that individuals who are evaluated uh, uh, differently, you know, they are evaluated differently depending on whether they speak English or Spanish. And if, if English is not their primary language, you don't really get a good understanding of what's really going on. Yes, that's 100% true. Um, I think something that you shared that resonates with the word that I do too is like to be aware of the needs that our community are experiencing. Sometimes they will need like a bed, they will need um, to connect with maybe um, faith-based organizations in the area and how important is that so we can continue to increase that therapeutic alliance with, with the families that we work with. Right, I th exactly. So um, that's what one of the things that I talk about is no wrong door. Mm -hmm. So I, I do encourage organizations to hire Latinos at every level because it's so important to have that visibility and presence. But if, for instance, you have a receptionist mm -hmm. and an individual starts telling the receptionist what's going on with them and what's what they're feeling worried about or anxious about, it's important for that receptionist to connect the person with it instead of saying, oh, this is not the right place. You know, you've come to the wrong agency. You need to call this other place. That doesn't work well at all. So we have to be listening and responding to what we're hearing and making sure that the connections are made for that person. Um, Maureen, if you could share your top three contributions to the mental health field, what they will be? Yes. Yeah, so as I mentioned, um, I made a concerted effort to study uh, mental health and study addiction because mm -hmm. I saw it as a huge gap, right? 
so what I would say were my contributions is that when I began working at Catholic Charities, I immediately started to request grants, uh, write grants to build programs uh, that would address the needs. Um, I started programs with the juvenile court for mental health and addiction treatment. That's how I started. And then I built it from there and I stayed 41 years in the field. Um, I also hired and trained minority and Hispanic staff. I was constantly looking to hire individuals that could I could groom and encourage to pursue education, licensing and certification as professionals in the field, because we have such a huge shortage of Hispanic serving individuals. And then I lastly, I would say I mentored and supervised and precepted individuals and I participate in the community in advocacy groups to really bring awareness and address the needs in the community. So I got really involved in the larger dominant society community to bring awareness to what's going on in our Hispanic community. Wow. That sounds great. I know that also my range is start the first Hispanic urban minority alcohol and drug abuse outpatient program in Ohio. And yeah. also she helped to start the Hispanic Alliance. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. So, I mean, that's part of that advocacy. So mm-hmm. we had an opportunity in our state to develop the urban minority alcohol and drug outreach programs. Um, that was uh, designed to address inner city needs, but we didn't have any that was specifically for the Hispanic community. So we at Catholic Charities housed uh, the first Hispanic uh, alcohol and uh, drug outreach program. And then that program went on to establish its own 501c3 and became not only an outreach program for prevention, but develop treatment. So that was a a, a great start in our community. The Hispanic Alliance is really an organization that brought together uh, several Hispanic serving organizations so that we could pool our thoughts, collaborate better, and also have more um, clout in going after funding. So we that was an organization where we shared a lot of expertise amongst each other and helped the larger funding community understand that we are coordinated. And that made a big difference. Yes. And also the first residential the first residential treatment center for Latinos in Ohio, Casa Alma. Do you want to share a little bit about Casa Alma? Yeah, so Casa Alma uh, was started under Hispanic Umadop. Miguel Prieto was the then director, and he was in recovery himself, and he noticed how it was very difficult as a, a Latino to access supports, you know, in the community when you don't speak the language and when you don't have, um, you know, professionals to address your specific needs or a place where you can go where the food is familiar to you 
or where the family members can come to get together and be supportive. So we worked really, really hard to start the first Latino uh, residential treatment program that specifically was for the Latino population. And we were able to finally, after much zoning and those types of challenges, get the funding to uh, to get an eight, I think it was started out as an eight bed facility. Now it's 12 beds. And we were able to get uh, eight for, uh, initially eight for men, and then we added four for women. And that was a lot of people who have gone through the program and, and become successful were able to then come back and help either volunteer for the program or work in the program. So it's very important for our Latino community. Wow. And I think that make a huge difference in our community because it helps the people to feel um, safe in a place where they can identify people that talks in Spanish or um, English and also a place where they can recover. Thank you. Exactly. For and they do help each other out. And then fortunately, we've been able to access Spanish speaking 12 step support groups as well that were very instrumental in helping the population. Since you first entered to the mental health field, what has changed? It could be like in service delivery and, and what has changed? So, so I would say Sadly, some things haven't changed. Like, for instance, we have short, still have shortage of staff. Mm -hmm. uh, we still have an increase in the level of need, unmet need. <clears throat> Over the years, we've seen some various new migration trends. Like, for instance, in our Cleveland area, we had a large additional group of individuals coming from Puerto Rico families after Hurricane Maria. So that was a big change. Um, we've also seen an increased lack of tolerance and negativity towards Hispanic migrants. I mean, we have to keep in mind that almost 80% of Hispanics are citizens in this country. Yet they, everybody gets lumped into this group that's increasingly alienated and maligned as sort of like something's wrong, you know, with that population. And, and that's been very difficult for our community. Um, especially our young people coming through the schools and going into employment. Uh, and then on the other hand, the deportation of well-established working Latinos has devastated the children and families and creates huge anxiety and huge major depression issues. And we continue to see a lack of awareness and understanding of the diversity in the Hispanic community, like I mentioned. You know, people think we're all one type of type of community, but we have a lot of diversity. Um, uh, in, in the area of mental health, we have a growing need for diagnosis, intervention, and treatment um, that is, uh, you know, uh, bilingual and bicultural that's based uh, on uh, addressing what we see as major depressive disorders, particular and anxiety, particularly with youth, young adults, and, um, and the, the increase of suicidal ideation. The Puerto Rican population in, in particular has a higher than average level of depressive symptoms. And then, of course, addiction issues and binge drinking continue to loom large, and marijuana use 
heroin dependence are all interlinked with mental health. So we ha- we were very much a dual diagnosis approach was needed with our population. Sure. Um, besides those challenges that our community experiences, can you share in your experience what other challenges you observe in the Hispanic and Latinx community? Yes, so um, for sure, you know, inclusion and representation, that's where I feel our um, standard traditional organizations really need to work harder to make sure that we have representation at all levels in the organizations, because there's no way that we can meet the need and reach our community and validate our community if we don't have individuals who understand the community working in our organizations, represented on our boards, Um, and in in our policymakers. I would say that some of the challenges that uh, create the backdrop for mental health would be separation from the country of origin. I I think it's difficult to appreciate sometimes the type of trauma that individuals go when they leave their countries of origin and they leave their support systems, and then they are reminded of their loss of support when they're not with those family members, when they're living apart from them. Um, The feeling of being disenfranchised, being treated differently, uh, leads a lot of times to anger, conflict. We see violence, domestic violence, gang affiliation, all coming from feeling not of not belonging, you know, that feeling of despair and dislocation. Our our population also has a lot of economic hardship and challenges with employment. Over 19% of our population is poor. And Mm -hmm. so between the individuals who are citizens, who are struggling with keeping up and supporting the families, to those who are seeking legitimacy and documentation, Mm -hmm. economic hardships are very much at the forefront of many of the people who present with need. We also have the challenge of housing. One of the things that's happening in our community, I'm sure it's happening in other communities, is that some well-established Hispanic communities are changing based on gentrification and they are breaking up. And so I think that's creating some disjointedness, you know, and feeling of of not belonging as well. There's the issue also of children being more assimilated than their parents. You know, uh, when children are are pretty much uh, the ones who are interpreting for their parents, that challenges the parental authority and their ability to protect that child. So we see those role reversals creating anxiety and a feeling of ineffectiveness. And then finally, I would say lack of resources and lack of health insurance. I think uh, culturally, uh, our population isn't necessarily knocking on doors asking for help because we, um, you know, we have uh, the, uh, you know, mental health is a stigma. We Mm -hmm. uh, tend to have to, 
you know, keep it inside because to show it is a sign of weakness. And so mental health is stigmatized. And we have a, also a cultural tendency of somaticizing our feelings. So explaining in physical terms, my head, my heart, my stomach, and, you know, all of that in terms of uh, how we are, you know, emotionally affected. And unless the caregiver understands that, it, they miss a lot of the symptoms. Um, you know, we talk a little bit about some of our Hispanic traits, such as machismo, marianismo. You know, these do have effects on how we uh, represent mental illness. You know, we have the the marianismo is is to be like bear, my, like Mary, right? To be um, to suffer in silence, to be subservient, to be passive, to be um, deferent. And I think that's a way of keeping feelings inside or not talking about them in, in emotional terms. Matisma, on the other hand, um, suggests that the person is strong and control, um, protective of the family. And again, showing any kind of weakness is frowned on. So I think we have all that uh, as challenges in our yeah. community. Yes, and I think as a clinician, it is really important to learn about those um, cultural elements that influence how we engage with our Latino clients. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and also, I think it is important to acknowledge that um, me as a Puerto Rican, um, there is Puerto Ricans and also does not present sometimes the same challenges as exactly. other people that comes from South America and you explain right. it beautifully. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. Perfect. Um, thank you for sharing um, your experiences and also for acknowledging all those challenges in our communities. Um, what are some unique considerations we need to be aware of when we are providing services to Hispanic and Latinx communities experiencing yeah. disorders? Well, I would say that, you know, we need to really address uh, bilingual, the language. We need to have individuals who can speak Spanish. I mean, not all the Latinos are, uh, af you know, fluent in Spanish, but they are fluent in the culture of Spanish. <laughs> so we need people to understand and be able to go back and forth uh, so that we don't miss anything. And there are others who don't speak very much English at all and but would not be comfortable acknowledging that. So they pretend that they understand what you're saying and they might not be understanding what you're saying. The yeah. other thing I, I would say is food. You know, mm -hmm. so if you like, for instance, you talked about the residential treatment center, it's food is a comforting experience for Latino. And it's the same when we have family education sessions and we have, you know, work with the children, you know, having that Hispanic comfort food is hugely important. And it is a an attraction to being able to get people to come to events and activities is when you have typical food. And sometimes, you know, our community even is willing to share 
their mm-hmm. foods and their recipes and bring dishes. Mm-hmm. So we have to keep <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That I mean, and every country has its typical, you know, foods. You know, Mexico has typical foods, Puerto Rico for sure, mm-hmm. you know, and the Caribbean countries. We talk about Guatemala, the pupusas, the arepas, you know, all those things. They're very, they're very comforting for people and they do reach people. Also, the concept of outreach. I would say that, you know, again, um, Hispanics aren't going to come knocking on your door. And I've heard this so many times. Agencies say, oh, you know, we don't have any Hispanics who need services because we never see them. And my thing is, do you really know how many Latinos are living in your community? And if they're not coming to you, then you need to find out how to reach them so you need to find ways to go out like for instance we talk about um, community case managers right people who can go out and reach the community who speaks spanish we talk about building trust through word of mouth you know offering a helping hand around other issues and then leading to the discussion about health or mental health I think you have to hire Latinos, you have to hire Hispanics, and then you have to also train Hispanics on the job because I hear people saying, well, we have postings, but no Hispanics ever apply. So I say, well, go out and find a Latino. He might, they might not have all of the skills you need, but bring them in and teach them because that's how we groom and develop our professionals that are so needed. And then finally, access, you know, how do you help with access and access can be something as simple as just explaining to someone how to get from here to there. You know, I I volunteered a lot in the community over the COVID vaccine um, enrollment. And what I learned is that you know, individuals are scared to go into communities that they're not familiar with. And so you have to, you know, what I found is sometimes sending a photograph, explaining the details of where you go, where you park, what door you go into, you know, and ensuring that someone will be there who speaks Spanish. All of these things help break the ice. So I think we definitely need Um, to understand that fear and that worry about not being familiar and not being able to negotiate, you know, the larger community. Finally, I think we need to understand that religion Mm -hmm. can very much be a protective factor. A lot of our community um, gets comfort from being part of a church, part of a parish, part of a a religious community. Mm -hmm. However, I do know that the stigmatization of mental health sometimes is exacerbated by the religion also because of uh, religious leaders telling people they need to be strong and deal with it among themselves. So I think part of our work really involves also linking with the Hispanic uh, leaders, religious leaders in our community 
and and helping them be part of the solution you know helping them understand that there are resources that are good for our latino population all right wow those are really good advice and um will you what will you share with other health professionals that want to serve latinx communities and are not from a Latin American background, what right. do you think will be helpful for them? So, so again, because the, the Latino uh, in, in individuals as a whole tend to somaticize their uh, emotional distress, mm -hmm. um, I think that uh, the healthcare or primary healthcare providers could really benefit from understanding and learning about the Latino culture, among others. But I mean, I think that's an excellent front door um, because that's probably the most likely place that an individual might start to talk about what's going on with them. Um, so I think that our uh, non-Latino, non-Hispanic serving organizations uh, mm -hmm. would benefit from learning the nuances of the populations in their area. Um, also to understand that we are undercounted. You know, when the census comes around, we're not getting everybody. We're not, people are have fears and worries. Um, and that they're not coming forward. So it's important to talk to people in our community to, to understand how many Latinos live there and mm -hmm. what their needs are. Um, so, I, and again, as I said, the, uh, it, it's important to be savvy to help diagnose the issues based uh, in the, having a conversation in the preferred language of the person served. So if you don't speak the language and the, the individual, individual is, is uncomfortable, uncomfortable speaking, speaking your language, we really need to make the effort, you know, to try to find ways to connect with an individual where they are most comfortable. I also think it's really important to work with our big public systems like child welfare, the courts and probation, the schools, and then also higher education to try to help prepare more future professionals. I would say also get to know the restaurants, the pastors and the churches, the clubs, and all the other Hispanic serving organizations and bring in Hispanics at all levels, your clerical level, your reception level, and your clinical level to groom and grow. Um, we also need to educate the community about our Hispanic community about mental health and addiction and the safe resources uh, that, that are, you know, and the, the education I think is best done once you've done your homework and you figure out where do the Hispanic, uh, where does the His Hispanic individuals get their news? Where do they get their, uh, what radio stations do they listen to? Where do they go? Uh, what Facebook sites do they go to? You know, all of these are important mediums to educate about mental health and addiction. We have to remember that word of mouth 
is extremely important. So once you open the door to help Latinos with any kind of issue, be it housing, employment, school, you know, that that person will likely come back to you with other issues because of that concept of trust. So we have to, yes. Yeah. No, I just want to say that also sometimes the um, talk about the services that they're receiving with you, with with their community, with their auntie, with their family. So Yes, yes. I mean, and again, I'll go back to when I was volunteering last year with Mm -hmm. around the COVID vaccine, because um, we we had information on how to help individuals enroll, but I didn't know what would be the best way to tell people that I would be available to help them sign up because a lot of individuals don't have computers, they don't understand English, they can't sign up on the internet, you know? And what we found is that once we started to help a few, the word got out like crazy, you yeah. know? So you're exactly right. They talked to their their yeah. relatives, their aunt. I, ha- I have had so many women sign up, all of their kids, all of their aging parents, you know, uh, their, as you said, their cousins, their aunt, you know, key women in the family, you know, got everyone in the family hooked in. And that's that's an important understanding that there's there are key people in the family who can influence the other members of the family. Sure. I think um the this time that we had together and knowing more about your experiences and knowing more about your legacy has been an amazing time. So do you have any final thoughts that you want to share with our audience, Maureen? No, I would say that in my experience, um, I the in where it comes to like, for instance, in the case of uh, drug addiction or alcoholism, the courts were really the most effective in connecting Hispanic individuals to treatment. Um, so, so it's a beginning, right? And then from there, you meet the family members and you meet the relatives and you meet the other individuals in the community and the word starts to get out about what you're doing. And then word of mouth takes it from there. With mental health, it's very often the worry of the family members expressing concern. So like a parent may be expressing concern about their child or about an old, you know, a grandparent might be expressing, uh, you know, worry about another sibling or or mm-hmm. somebody else in the family so and they usually express this to another to another helper or a caregiver giving professional so i would say we need to be listening for all of that and i know that kindness and giving attention and commiserating and sharing our empathy really goes a long way in helping people open up. So I if so once we understand the manifestation mental health, I think we need to be listening for how to engage, how to help people access and how to help them improve 
through having a relationship with somebody they can trust and can talk to. Sure. And I think that sometimes clinicians think that they need to talk in Spanish to treat Hispanic and Latino. And it's not true. You can talk in English, but being genuine, like have a, a strong right a way to approach to Latinos and yeah, be kind. I think that makes a huge right. difference. And and also be a um, sort of a, a kind of like a servant leader. Uh, learn from the individual that you're working with. They have a lot to teach you about how their family functions, about their history, how they came to the country, all of those things that are important to them. You know, who who's their sort of... Um, uh, the patriarch and the matriarch in the family, you know, all of these things help us understand the dynamics and help you also build that bridge and build that bond with an individual. Mm -hmm. So Maureen has been an honor to know more about the work that you're doing and also about your legacy. Thank you very much for your countless contributions to Ohio and for dedicating your life to serve others. And today we celebrate you. Thank you for being a leader in our community. The honor is all mine. You know, I love what I do and I love sharing, you know, about our, what we've been able to accomplish. So thank you so much. I don't do it alone. That's for sure. <laughs> and thank you everyone for listening to today's podcast the checking in podcast is produced by the great lakes mental health technology transfer center with funding from cooperative agreements with samsa we encourage you to connect with the great lakes attc mhttc and pttc on facebook linkedin and youtube to discover many more free products and resources just like this